0: Would you be able to forgive me if I did something you didn't agree with? I'd love to know the answer to that question. You Hopefully know?
1: the line isn't a podcast because we're <laughs> yes. be in real trouble. I know.
0: As I said that, I was like, well, I hope it's not fucking this. <laughs> my God. Dad is such
1: a mystery.
0: Dad's such a dickhead.
1: Dad used to be a drug dealer.
0: Dad is missing. Again.
2: Dad kisses on the lips.
0: Dad's kind of hard.
1: Dad locked me in a cello case. Dad ate my chips. But who is Dad, really?
3: Dad to me.
2: Welcome to the second episode of Dad to Me. The podcast that looks Dad in the eye, grips his thigh and lets rip with the questions kids have been sitting on for yonks My right-hand man, Jump Daddy, is here in the studio again, sharpening his knives for another dad-child challenge. Jump Daddy, my loyal hunchback, how are you doing
1: ahead of today's interview? Complete spinal collapse notwithstanding, we've got our first crossover episode. And by that, we are talking to a fellow escapee from the world of French clown. Now, like
2: you, Today's child, Nina, once studied clowning in Paris. Unlike you, however, she A, actually speaks French, Mm. B, actually finished said clown school, Uh and C, is currently a sexologist in training. Nice. Now 26 years old, Nina grew up overlooking the Pacific Ocean, slamming against one of Sydney's most beautiful beaches called Coogee. But it hasn't all been sunshine and sand. Nina had to step up from an early age to look out for her big brother Banjo, who has Asperger's, and again when her mother Frances died from cancer during Nina's teenage years. Now Nina's experiences have made her the person she is today, and they've come to define also her relationship
1: with her father. Ian is a screenwriter. And wrote the award-winning Blue Murder. That was a television series about real-life corruption in the New South Wales police force here. Sorry about that. Um, uh, Ian is a a screenwriter, probably best known for writing the award-winning Blue Murder. That was a television series about real-life corruption in the New South Wales police force, Here in Australia So, our dad knows what it is to communicate to an audience He knows the stakes of getting a story straight And he probably also knows what a cover-up looks like Exactly Today, we're going to see whether Nina
2: can get anything more out of our interrogation As Ian might say, Jump Daddy and I are just going to have to play Bad Cop, Bad Cop (laughs)
0: That bubble of, you know, your parents being invincible, you don't even know that you are in that bubble until the bubbles burst, bursted. And then it put me in a state of constant unknowing, which I think is where I developed quite a bad anxiety as a little person. And I remember asking him whether she might die. And to his credit, he was very honest and said, yeah, she might. And I think from then on I was very well aware that, I don't know, of consequences maybe, but also that feeling of just being at completely out of control. And I didn't like that feeling. I think that feeling of, you know, you can categorise things as if you work really hard, you'll get a certain outcome or if you eat really well, then you'll get an outcome. And mum was sick before then and I saw her in hospital before she collapsed I would also see her going to the Ian Gawler Foundation and eating really well and um, not drinking alcohol, completely cutting red meat out of her diet. And then for her to collapse I think instilled something in me that was you you can try as hard as you can but life has other plans sometimes and I think that frightened me to my core until I hit 20 and started to – work through my shit, (laughs) you
2: know? (laughs) What a thing to realise, age six. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's incredibly shocking. And you probably had to do a lot of work very early that other kids weren't doing at all. And I just, I want to know, were were you sort of aware of this difference that you had in relation to other children that you were kind of dealing with these big issues of parent mortality at the time?
0: Yeah, and then almost being made out to be a special child which luckily <laughs> i had some good people around me that beat that out of me <laughs> from you know but in a good way by 12 where it was this no you are not a victim you have to really push against that because it was very easy to let that happen because that you know people people are lovely and they come over and they there's a million shepherd's pies and there's (laughs) women everywhere taking banjo and I to school and people just getting involved in your shit. Mm. And even though deep down you you know that it's not for a good reason, the reason they're doing it is from a good place, but it's because there's this sadness happening in your family. So you know that at a base level, but on a surface level you do, you feel special, you're... Seven and everyone at school is asking how you are and how your family is and oh that must be hard and but it fucks with you that oh you deserve a brownie it's Tuesday night why not even <laughs> though you know you don't deserve a fucking brownie <laughs> like it's I haven't done anything today it's Tuesday <laughs> but everybody makes you feel because everyone's compensating something you know it's so yeah I knew I was different.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we might actually move on now to these questions that you've given us to, to ask your dear pop.
0: So question number one says, would you be able to forgive me if I did something you didn't agree with? That comes from, I think there's a sense of unconditional love that I witness between kids and their parents and something that I felt with my mum. That being said, my mum died at, when I was 16. So she actually never, we never had like a butting heads moment. But with dad, I think because of what I said before about how, whether I was 10, 18 or four, he'd sort of talked to me the same way. Sometimes there was a feeling of, there is a debt, there's a line somewhere that if I crossed it, there wouldn't be any coming back from that. And I don't know what the line is, but there is a feeling that there is one. And I think that could stem from my childhood anxiety of uncertainty, but I think I'd love to know the answer to that question. You Hopefully know?
1: the line isn't a podcast because we <laughs> could yes. be in real trouble.
2: <laughs> I know. As
0: I said that, I was like, I hope it's not fucking this. Oh, <laughs> my God. I love you, Dad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, the line. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think immediately of the respect that you had to have for your father's boundaries growing up, spatially, temporally you couldn't take up too much of his creative space. And so there's, yeah, I can see why there would be this fascination with with that boundary line.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. That's actually, (laughs) that's it. Yeah.
1: Interesting. And what about question number two?
0: Question number two, would you feel differently about me if I was with a woman? This question particularly I don't think would make any difference to the way I live my life, to be honest. Then again, depending on his answer, it could.
2: <laughs> um, a lot is on the line here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was with a woman for many years and a huge part of my life. Her name's D. But I've also been with men. And my current relationship, which is a beautiful one, is with a male. And I have noticed that Dad is very positive about the male relationships I've been in. And that's not to say he was ever negative about my relationship with Dee, but there is this analysis that goes on still today when he refers to Dee and I of this thing of trying to work us out all the time and work me out or work out why I was with her maybe or whether our relationship was too close. Whereas since I've been with males in serious relationships since then, that analysis doesn't seem to take place. So I don't know whether that comes from just a place of unknowing and wanting to understand more or whether that comes from just a really basic old school thing of like, Two shalers. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And you know, what is he going to say to his friends? I don't know. Again, I'm you, fascinated. Again, by. you
2: can take the man out of Perth. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: no, that's that's really, really interesting. And I, I wonder if there's something to the order of those relationships that is a bit dangerous as well, because he could tell himself a narrative that. You were just coming of age when you were with the woman, working Mm. yourself out, and now you've finally ended up with a man or whatever, you know, there might be something strange going on there too, but we will explore all of those things. (laughs) Question the third, could you take us through that one?
0: Do you worry about the way things will work out for me or are you confident in my abilities? So this comes about... Because my brother having health issues over the last 10 years, as well as he has Asperger's and as a little boy being tested and schooling and education and social skills and all that jazz was a main topic of conversation in our household and still is now. I guess it's it's an incredibly self-centered question because, yeah, sometimes I do wonder whether dad thinks about how I'm going to turn out. There's a lot of conversation about how Banjo will be when he's older and will he be okay? And do we need more support for him? Or maybe he'll be fine. Maybe he won't be fine. All these different things. And I think that's never been talked about with me. And I, there are the obvious reasons why that's not talked about. But then on another level, I do think is that because maybe he is just really confident in the way I am and he just thinks no point thinking about it or worrying about it, she's fine, or does he worry? I don't know. So that's it's, where that question It's an interesting
2: up. question though because when there is a family member that requires that constant support, there's a sort of assumption that everyone else is functioning kind of fine, but mm. that's, you know, not necessarily the case. So we really understand where that question comes from. That'll be interesting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So usually we do things by a rule of threes, uh, questions for the father, no exception. And yet here I am making an exception for you, (laughs) Nina. You've put to us a fourth question that we'd love to in turn put to your father. What is that?
0: Uh, Do you trust my opinions? (laughs) (laughs) This
1: is a juicy one. (laughs) Good to go at the end.
0: (laughs) Uh, This comes from... He is a particularly intelligent person and socially very onto it. And I think that I would just love to know whether he listens to what I'm saying and, of course, I know he really listens, but there is this vibe with Dad a lot that anything you talk about, he's read at least four books on it and researched it, probably given a talk written a couple of articles and, you know, so there's (laughs) (laughs) any topic. So sometimes I think, you know, I wonder if he, on a really genuine level, listens to what I have to say and really takes it on or whether it is just a, okay, that's a good thing, I'll go and do my own research on that. So I'd like to know if he, yeah, trusts my opinions.
2: (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that is an infuriating trait of many an older man, I believe, the idea of knowing all the answers themselves. I've certainly directly experienced that from my own father. (laughs) (laughs) Nina, thank you so much for opening up to us today and giving all of those answers to, to our questions and giving us your own questions to put to your dad. We are really looking forward to Going over him with a fine-tooth comb, you could say.
1: Which is inappropriate considering he's perfectly bald. <laughs> uh,
0: we'll edit that out. <laughs> oh, no, I think it's, it's on Google.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the, the, thing about, the thing about having children is that they make you realise how selfish... You can be because you're off in a room and you're working and at the same time aware that they they would like some interaction and this came home to me when banjo, my son was about uh, he was about seven or eight and I was working on blue murder. So I was away all day. I'd be working 14 15 hour days and then I'd come home and I would sit in the room for about three, three or four hours so I'd, I'd, I'd get back about 7 o'clock and then 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock I'd go to bed. And one day, it was a Sunday morning, we went down to the park at Coogee and he ran up to me and he wanted to he wanted me to swing him around, do a roundabout thing. And I said, yeah, okay. And then he just took off and he ran all the way back to Francis, my wife, and he said, Dad is saying yes today. Wow. I thought I was just doing the right thing by writing and as I'd always done and, and done it since my 20s and here I was denying that natural process of wanting interaction with your parents. When it comes to Nina, do you think that
1: dynamic also manifested?
3: I did but then when uh, Frances, my wife, was diagnosed with cancer there was this incredible, well because I work freelance I was trying to do as much work as I could and so it just made the whole thing much worse. Then when Francis and I separated, Nina was about 12 or 13. So the combination of having to work harder because you didn't know what was going to happen and at the same time being aware that we had this other crisis which got a lot of attention, as should have, yeah, I, I think she got, she got a pretty tough time.
1: Your ex-wife, Francis, mother of Nina, died when Nina was in the middle of her teenage years. Yeah. How did you guys navigate that?
3: We noticed... Frances always seemed to have a cold or, or she had immune problems and then in 98 she was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. She was, always in, she was brilliant in, with friends. She had lots of friends. But it had this effect on our relationship where, he, well, we were no longer physically intimate and we gradually became old, close friends. And so after seven years, I think it was the third, no, second stem cell, transplant she had. The doctor called us in and, and said to Francis, his exact words were, for all intents and purposes, you're cured. And a couple of months later, Francis and I had a discussion and I said, I think I want to go and live in the country. The separation, I think, was very difficult for the kids, particularly with Nina. She was 13 and she'd had a tough time, as it was, but I felt as though it was going to free things up because it was tense. But two years later, Francis rang me and said that the cancer had come back, and so for another three years, it was difficult. And she, she died when Francis was uh, when um, Nina was seventeen. So she had this experience from from when she was about six of seeing her mother in a coma, and while she was doing her homework, her mother collapsed. To here she was, she would passed away, and I think it's like the end of the second act in a bad drama. It just could not get any worse. It ended up with um, Francis's family basically making the kids go to court to indicate whether they wanted me as their father. That's how it ended up. And it was a spiteful, vengeful time. But it created this bond between the three of us, particularly with Nina, who was, I think, like me, <laughs> wondering why it had all happened like that. And so it's very difficult to speak of it without getting kind of angry because I just felt like it was all, it was pointless and it was it was brought about by people who basically didn't know us. And they were in profound grief. I'm talking about Francis's family led by her. Her oldest sister, um, we very rarely saw her and here she was after Francis died wanting to prove something. I think in, in a sense she didn't want me to, to have a a life that was not being reminded about the fact that my wife had um, passed away and we'd separated before that when we got together, it was all very complicated and I'm still not quite sure that I understood it at all. But what I did know was that the kids and I went through something that not many families thankfully have to go through and that is you sit watching your children giving evidence in a court and saying, well, I think Dad's okay, I don't mind being with him. For what reason? Ian,
2: you've known Nina, your daughter, about 30-odd years now. You would have thought that you'd have told your daughter everything there is to know by now, but there are still a few loose ends to tie up. There always are. Nina tells us that you're a person of real fiery commitment and, and integrity. Yeah. Now she wants to know, would you be able to forgive her if she ever did something that you fundamentally disagreed
3: with? Well, the answer is yes. I I don't know that there'd be anything a parent could. I actually have met parents whose children have done absolutely the most terrible thing. We all have. Mm. No, it's not feasible. I I mean, I think I draw the line at the thing that I wouldn't agree that what she did was acceptable. I would certainly tell her that in no uncertain terms. Mm. But I'd be looking after her back the whole time. You you read those stories about uh, people who've done American... um, Media is really good at this, where they go and interview the parents and they say, your son or daughter has done this terrible thing. How do you feel about it? I I remember once there was this woman that was in Mississippi, somewhere in the south, and she said, when I get my hands on him, I'm going to kill him. But I love him anyway, (laughs) you know. And I feel that's the same thing with Nina. No, she can do no wrong. So Nina
1: is, of course... An aspiring sexologist who thinks deeply about sex and relationships, but she represents a very different generation on these questions. Would you feel differently about her if she were with a woman permanently? No,
3: I wouldn't. Uh, But I have to say, when she said to me some time ago that she, she wanted to go in that direction... I think she's the perfect person to do that. Uh, with, whether If she was with a woman or a man, it, it's not that essential to be judgmental about that. But when it comes down to it, my understanding of the way Nina approaches things is that the whole question of sexual relations is one of learning how to respect each other and enjoy the process of having a relationship. That seems to me like an essential thing to do. You can get into the hearts and minds of people who are in trouble and maybe... Make some sense of it. And I think she's got the wherewithal to do that. Do you have the wherewithal to do that? <laughs> you mentioned, and, and I mean this, in
1: terms of I suppose Nina's choice of partners, you mentioned being confronted by her having a female partner for quite a time as, as a situation. How is it different to if she is as she is now with a male partner?
3: The future's only informed by the past. So if you're expecting a certain relationship with your child's partner and it's not going to happen, how can you form a relationship that's, you know, meaningful? I found that really difficult in the beginning, yeah. But at the same time, you've got to keep coming back to the fact that, you know, there's a really powerful set of emotions here between your child and and a person who is deserving of those emotions It's all about re-educating your mind and that's what it's about, which is not easy. Mm.
1: (laughs) For any dads or prospective dads out there whose children do engage in a a same-sex relationship, are there any learnings that you've gleaned that you would pass on in the men's shed?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, reserve judgment. Education doesn't happen overnight. It's not a spontaneous thing. But if you're in a situation where you are being forced to decide, you've got nowhere to go. Mm. So I just think that sense of giving everyone the chance to come to terms with a new situation isn't such a bad thing. But uh, uh, it does piss me off when people expect you to kind of know overnight, you know, how to drive a bulldozer. It mm. doesn't happen like that. And mm. at the same time, I think you've got to trust your kids. Mm. And, and I trust her. Getting onto the
2: third question now, We've touched a bit on this already. Uh, you have a child, Banjo, with, with some health problems and that must cause you an immense amount of worry about the future, about Banjo's future. Yeah. Do you ever get the same kind of worry about how things will work out for Nina? Are you confident in her abilities and her self-sufficiency, that
3: sort of thing? She was 17 when her mum died and, you know, it's right in that period where you know in your adolescent years god knows it's tough enough a whole lot of other things but then this is as thing and it i think she chose to uh, literally hold on to the rock you know and she had one particular relationship with d her, her first love i think when i think back on that uh, at the time i was confused because i thought i don't know why she's not coming to talk to family members and so on but she was holding on to this to to d and and i i think that was pure act of survival, she just had to emotionally do that. But all the school and educating and looking forward and projecting into the future, that all, that just went nowhere. So I think now she's actually going into that process 10 years later and she's rediscovering the project and it's just, and it is one. It's wonderful to see that because you think, okay, it's taken 10 years and she's probably experienced a lot of things that most people wouldn't experience until much later. She's older in the head, but she's still young and she's excited about the prospects. Can I get better than that, really? As somebody who's really gotten into the heads of
1: male characters all through your working life, is there something in that of men being more interested in men in the sense of their stories, their future plans, their goals, their opinions? Do you think any of that dynamic informs your relationship with your kids?
3: You mean looking into the motivations of men for particular actions or decisions that they make? In, in some ways
1: it's perfectly, I, I suppose, natural, that, that, but, but that we we resonate more readily and easily with those of a similar background or, in this case, similar gender. Do you think so? it's, it's sometimes challenging for you to get interested in what Nina's interested in, be it her opinions, be it her, where she wants to go in life?
3: I freely admit I don't understand a a lot of people who are, say, half my age, what excites and generates it. But then, you know, I I understand probably less than I should. But when it comes to men, men are mostly confused (laughs) about how they fit into into the social network. I mean, I'd love to be uh, half my age now. I think I probably would find it more interesting than I was when I was 25, when everything was kind of fixed, you know, it was like watching concrete set. And I can remember the arguments between my mum and dad. I mean, he wouldn't let her drive a car, he wouldn't let her have a job. And I think when I look back, I decided I wasn't going to be like that. But when I got it, when I got into my career, my professional career, and I was working on these things with men, I thought nothing's really changed except that men pretend to be in charge, but in fact they're really desperately afraid I didn't find that attractive and, in fact, most of my work has been when I've worked in in a situation with producers, been with women and women seem to know that men are scared. Mm. But anyway, anyway, to answer your question, I think that my feeling overall is that women understand men much better than men understand women.
2: I would agree with that. It's a sad kind of state of affairs in society where Women, unfortunately, are saddled with all of the emotional and effective labour all of the time. Anyway, that was all to sort of get to this last question, which was more or less about the way that you treat Nina nowadays. When she offers an opinion, do you take it seriously? It's yeah. kind of hard to take a child seriously because you think of them as a child but then there's also the protectiveness of the, the father daughter thing coming coming in so what do you think of Nina's opinions nowadays i mean are you do you take her seriously you know do you f- still feel like you've got a lot of wisdom to impart that she's resistant uh, to <laughs> listening
3: to <laughs> she's chosen a path which is a very serious one and i believe as you get as individuals get older they regress and so I'm hoping that we'll kind of meet each other around 45. <laughs> we'll kind of have some similar wisdom. What I take from her a lot is that her vivacity, She's so she loves life to the point. I mean, she, I think she got that from her mum as well. But there's this process where I'm reminded constantly when I'm with her, she's a joy to be with because she's, she is very excited about a lot of things. And I've given up on uh, some of those things. You know, she would come along. Uh, when I was teaching at Sydney Uni and I'd be talking to her about the discoveries I made and so on, And I think she was interested in other things. And now I I do feel that once she gets through this process and she starts to educate others, it's going to be some interesting conversations because she's got a good mind.
2: Hello, Nina. Yes, we've got you. Is this a good time?
0: This is perfect timing.
2: Okay, excellent. In uh, in Studio dad to Me, we're nothing if not systematic. So why don't we kind of roll through these questions in order and just check uh, whether you have anything, any specific revelations about each of them. So the first question was, uh, would you be able to forgive me if I did something you didn't agree with? What came out of the response for you?
0: It's great that he answered quickly. So I really liked how he said that I would definitely know if he didn't agree with what I was doing. Mm. I think that's very Mm. true to, that's true to dad. You definitely know when he's, yeah, if he doesn't agree with something or if if that's not the way he would do something, you'll know about it. But I think the main part of the question, which was, but would you be able to forgive me? I believed him when he said that he would.
1: Yeah,
2: that was delivered with a lot of conviction, Mm. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. How about number two? That was an interesting one. So would you feel differently about me if I was with a woman?
0: I don't know. I expected him to come back with a really, an almost vanilla answer to that that Mm. would make him seem, you know, really well-read because he is really well-read and educated on those matters. But I, I liked that he said that, yeah, he was sort of admitting that he didn't know much. He didn't understand it very well. And now he does and he's, Obviously thought about it a lot more, and but no, I really liked that. I liked that he, in a way, admitted that yeah, it, the reason he was different about um, my relationship with a woman was because he didn't fully understand it.
1: What about question number three, it went along the lines of, do you worry about the way things will work out for me, and are you confident in my abilities?
0: So, when I initially asked it, I think I, it was meant in such a basic. Exact Mm. comparison to banjo, but when he answered it, it was he took the academic path, which I found really interesting because I never, it's funny, I never wanted to go to uni. Before then, I've done diplomas in clowning and mime, so very different (laughs) to what I'm doing now. So, what I got from it was that he was thinking, Oh, god, what's she doing for the last 10 years, and now suddenly he's at ease with it. That's what I got from it. Which isn't, you know, it's not a good or a bad thing. That's
1: just... Yeah, I I guess it's just a natural reflection of how parents react to their children pursuing clowning as their (laughs) tertiary education. (laughs) I put myself in this world too. (laughs) (laughs) Final question was, simple to say, but a big one. Do you trust my opinions?
0: Well, yeah, this one was funny because him basically saying when she's finished studying and she hits about 40, then we'll be able to have really great conversations. I know that obviously my dad thoroughly enjoys our conversations already, we get along very well. So I took no insult from it, but I did, I I had a good laugh because I thought, what a brilliant way to say, oh, not yet. You know.
1: (laughs) Keep on sharpening those axes, (laughs) you know, keep on reading those books. (laughs) There were lots of
2: interesting things that came out of this, but would you say, is there some kind of sum total of this that will change your relationship with your dad or will do you come out of this having gained some new insight or will it not really change it? It was an interesting exercise anyway.
0: I, I feel like what it's done is it's brought attention to the things that each of us do think about in terms of each other. <laughs> It'll keep bringing us back to these topics or the topics that were talked about, I think. And, yeah, obviously they're important to me and they're hopefully important to him.
2: Maybe you can do a kind of annual listening session where you both sit down, you have a drink, you listen back to the podcast and uh, revisit old topics.
0: Yes. And, you know, <laughs> at, and at 40 as well and see if it <laughs> can yes. work.
2: when you're 40. (laughs) So that's great stuff. We are very happy to have helped you on that front, but we can also take criticism Mm -hmm. and we also love to be told that we're, stinking failures, you know, do you have any feedback for us? Were there any moments where you felt, you know, jump daddy and Tom, come on, that was an obvious question. You missed a sitting duck or, you know, were there any times where we didn't press him hard enough? Like, Yeah. yeah. And and to
1: put the, you know, the language of fetish in it, think of us as little pain piggies for criticism. (laughs) Like
0: in the trough, give it to us. My favourite. I would love to tear you both apart, oh, <laughs> yeah, <we'd laughs> apart. But, but, but no I can't actually I thought it was really I, I felt very comfortable and I had a good time
1: so to bring it to a final empirical measure in a way, your dad's undertaken the greatest of all dad projects, and that is, of course, the mountaintop house build. So, out of a total possible of five dad projects, going from zero that didn't what didn't go very well to five dad projects, what would you give the experience?
0: What would I get out of ten? Out, 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 out of five. Out of
1: five. Dad out of dad five. Has. Five dad houses, dad projects, dad builds, dad builds, dad builds. Yeah.
0: I I'd give it a five.
1: Oh, five out of five dad
2: builds. We had our bottoms out for the paddling (laughs) jump, Daddy, but it seems we've inadvertently avoided the naughty corner for now. As a dedicated
1: pain piggy, I kind of (laughs) look forward to a lashing. But nonetheless, I think we push back on our natural cuck instincts here, Dr. Tom. We did push this week's dad just a little bit harder with our questions. And- So gleaned, I think, some really interesting insights. Can we keep that energy up for our next episode? Next up, we've
2: got an acclaimed surgeon and university lecturer, Prof Ross Smith, and he is all in on walnuts, a natural source of anti-aging agents like Mm. omega-3 and antioxidants. Mm. But, of course, life is more than your walnut CV, more than your nuts if you'll believe me, Jump Daddy. His daughter, best-selling author Pip Smith, is coming at Ross with questions on the role of a father, how he wants to be remembered, and what a certain piece of dad art means.
0: On top of the horse, there's a fox, and on top of the fox, there's a cat, and on top of the cat, there's a rooster.
2: Do rate and subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your pod poison. But for now, it's just huge thanks to Nina, Ian, and our mall rut with a goonsack, audio producer and redhead seducer, St. Quentin.
1: Hark the herald angels, sing, you are dad to me.
2: Yeah, right, let's uh, keep it professional. I'm dad to you. And, and we're
1: dad to us. us. <laughs>